Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week things are a little bit different. This week we are going to look at the journey of starting your investing journey from your late teens to mid-twenties. Very important chapter in life if you want to get ahead and it is just a process. It's not luck, it is a process. Take plenty of notes but as always, as you'll hear from the person I'm interviewing, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Lorenzo. Mr. Baxter, always dapper, looking good, my friend, and pleasure to be here with you. I've just been advised, by the way, it's kind of caught me off guard, that apparently I won't be introing this episode today because in actual fact, you're going to be asking me the questions. That's right. I thought it'd be a great opportunity to turn the tables on you. You usually put the torch to me every week and, and, and try and extract as much juice as you can. So uh, my turn to do it to you, my friend. Let me tell you, it's harder asking the questions and answering them. So I'm looking forward to a nice 20 minute, 30 minute break here. What have you got for me? I was thinking two hours. Hope you're ready. I love to talk about myself. It's no problems. We'll spend all day. Well, I guess, you know, how all this came about, as you know, I've just been away in Europe for a bit and I'm sort of thinking, you know, we've just finished writing our book, you know, the Money and Investing Playbook. And, um, and, you know, it's really interesting to look at the different chapters that we talk about. And I think, you know, for a lot of people that consume our podcast or people that see the snippets that come up in social media, you think, oh, you know, they're just throwing a few comments out here and there to, to, to get some traffic. And I guess the real idea is we live and breathe the stuff that we talk about week in and week out. And I think, you know, the investing journey, it has to be started. It's like any journey. It doesn't get underway until you actually start. So I thought, what a great opportunity to talk about your personal journey, if you're happy to share some of it with us. Yeah, sure. Uh, certainly from an investing perspective, we'll keep it in that lane. Right. Um, and, and and more specifically, yeah, some of the things that you've done and maybe some of the processes that I guess we teach and coach on and how you've applied them personally. So you know, creating wealth in your late teens and early 20s. Uh, for a lot of people, it's something you don't think about. One day I'll get around to sorting it out. You've obviously grasp that pretty hard and fast. So tell us a little bit about how it all started. Believe it or not, I still remember this day I was driving to an Australia Day party and I was about 18 or 19 and I made the decision that day that I was going to save for a house. And that's literally how all of this started. I just, for whatever that day, for whatever reason that day, excuse me, I said, I'm going to save for a house. Also happened that I just pretty much started with you just the summer before mm. that. So I guess I was exposed to a lot of the values and teachings, which a lot of our readers will pick up in the book. Although, you know, 18, 19 years old, I was in the thick of it. I was ready there. It's interesting. So you set it as a goal, and I know you're mad on uh, goal, goal setting, and more importantly, goal attainment. Um, you know, talks cheap, money buys the whiskey, you know? It's like, oh, I'd love to own a house, so I'm gonna start saving, but you've actually followed through. What were some of the steps that you, you put into play to actually make it a reality rather than a dream? I guess I was at that stage where I was coming to the end of my uni degree. I maybe had a semester or two left, I would mm. say. I just started working with you with work experience. I was still working for my dad at F45 as a bit of pocket money. I was at that stage where I'd seen seen you and I'd seen what you taught and the values at which you, you press to our clients. And I'd also seen our clients living and breathing that too. And I guess it was in that situation where I said, do you know what? I'm going to make a decision here. I could either go to this party because as I say, I was on the way to this party and be like all the other people there and just be happy floating and just be happy average and, you know, spending all their money on the weekend on alcohol and food and whatever. Or I could take affirmative steps now to get ahead really early on. And that was literally the thought process I had. That day I went and opened a savings account with ANZ and I said, every week, based on whatever I earn, I'm gonna transfer this amount into that savings account. Do you have a fixed, not forget about the dollars on that for a moment, but what about the, did you have a percentage in mind of that or, or, or how did you decide what you're gonna save across? To be fair, when I was at uni, I was pretty guilty of spending most of my paycheck until I really 
dialed in and started working with you and I developed the, the, the savings habit. As I ventured more into full-time work and started going from uni wage to mm. a, a modest full-time wage, it sat at about 83% of my income that I would save. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's, a, that's a, an, impressive, an impressive amount of saving. Um, and I'm gonna dive into to, to how you were able to attain that. And I think just, just from a, a coaching or personal development perspective, one of the guys I've had the privilege of working with over the years is, is obviously Tony Robbins. And one of Tony's catch cries is, you know, you never leave the side of a decision without making an action step toward it. So you made the decision you want to save for a house. And that day there and then you started taking action steps towards it rather than, okay, on Monday, I'll get round to doing that. Literally and, that day, I opened an account and said, okay, this is where my money's going to go from well, now on. Action steps, what it's all about. So let's let's try and unpack this, this miraculous 83% savings rate. Tell us a little bit about what some of the things that you've done to maybe cut costs or maybe not necessarily cut costs, but really focus on the goal that you set yourself? I was fortunate enough to live at home. So mm -hmm. my parents have always, always did support me at home. I did have to pay my mom a token amount of board, which- Good yeah, Italian mama. <laughs> yeah. Now I realize it's just her teaching me a lesson rather than, than yeah. anything else. I guess I always worked on the philosophy. My dad always said, as you earn more, spend the same and never have that lifestyle inflation because mm. then you'll always be in surplus. Yeah. So as I, I started working full time and I started doing better at work and negotiating nice pay rise with you and all that kind of thing, I basically kept my spending amount to as minimal as I possibly mm. could, which is the bare minimum it takes to have fun and enjoy it in your young in your 20s, mm. not much at all. Everything else is saved. That's really interesting. I think, you know, that notion of where you get information from. One of the things that we talk about in the book particularly is something called money stories where you inherit a lot of your parents' beliefs around money and your mum and dad are both grafters. They've done very, very well financially as a consequence of their effort and, and advice and investments that they've done. Um, that that passing of the baton, I think, from parents or, or whomever the person is in your life that's a role model that lives and breathes something rather than just talks about it and passes on is great. And what you've talked about there, that that lifestyle inflation is an easy trap to fall into because as you do earn more, you know, crazy things like the type of socks you wear changes or your shoes or Pants. whatever it might be, it, it, everything just becomes progressively more expensive because you can afford it. And if you're able to maintain that self-discipline, and I think more than self-discipline, sacrifice your ego and actually live like a monk in Did some you, aspects of your life. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it financially can be can be huge. So living at home, great way of saving a little bit of money. Uh, and in this case, you know, a reasonable amount. So you then moved in, and I know you've put the torch on me a few times in terms of pay rise. And this is, a, a, I guess, an area for a lot of people where, you know, the cost of living has gone up, so therefore I need to make more money. So give me a pay rise is probably not the best conversation to, to go in and talk to your employer about. And I think we've done a podcast on that previously as to how to ask for a pay rise. So tell me a little bit about what your philosophy is for putting the torch to me. Once again, <laughs> it, it comes down to the guidance of my, my dad specifically, and I have to thank him a lot for it because I think a lot of young people, if I look at my peers, almost say, if you pay me this, I'll then deliver that. Hmm. Whereas I took the opposite approach and said, let me deliver and yeah. show you exactly how much I can over deliver hmm. and then I'll ask for the reward. So it was always put the horse before the cart yeah. rather than the cart before the horse. And I think, as you know, when you, when you first hired me, I really knew nothing about anything. But one thing I did know how to do was work hard and just yep. become a psycho, right? You know, make the most amount of calls, write emails, spend the most amount of time in the office and just be hardcore. That I think put me in good stead to 
learn a lot from you and from the teachings from our clients and that kind of thing but then also over deliver on results mm. i would say which then gave me bargaining power where it was say it was a mutual agreement you know mitch is is producing he's delivering so therefore he has to be paid accordingly yeah. well there's certainly a direct correlation on if you look at the sort of finance industry that we're in um you know you eat what you kill so you know if your value is absolute then there's certainly scope for that. I think there's an enormous uh, amount to unpack their lessons for people uh, that are listening to this. Uh, and you're right, getting the horse in front of the cart rather than if you do this, I'll do that. It's a very weak way of going into a negotiation because it's effectively blackmail. Whereas if you go the other way and say, hey, you've already seen what I can do. Let's not eat, you know, don't eat alone. Let's let's share the love, so to speak, is a, is a great philosophy to have. And you've certainly done that in spades. So we've gone through the phase of saving and then incrementally earning more. Uh, what I want to do from here is talk about, okay, well, with the savings that you've accumulated and the goal that you set yeah, a little bit earlier, tell us about your first major investment decision. I, I, about 18 months ago, I bought my first investment property, but before I actually did that, when my first ever investment was into the stock market, mm -hmm. and I was only about 19, what I used to do is, because as I mentioned to you, when I first started working, when I was first at uni, I was a spender. I would categorize myself mm -hmm. as a spender. So what I did is every time I got paid, I would transfer money in, into my savings account and then I would actually take the money out of my savings account as cash and put it in a shoebox in my room. <laughs> and that was what I used to accumulate five or six grand, whatever it was back then, which I used to buy some shares. Wow. Um, after that had been ticking along nicely and doing its thing and, and whatever else, I started working and earning more. That was the time where I think I was 21 and I'd saved up a, a really good amount, like a really, really good amount. And I said, I could either buy a, an apartment or a house and I could be that guy that moves out at 21 and is a bit of a rock star and happy days, or I could buy something, rent it out, collect all the income and stay at home and save for another one. And I knew that if I stayed at home, I would be able to save much, much quicker for the next one. Okay. So... I guess in a way there's a sacrifice of ego, which you know, you're a confident person. A lot of people think like ego the size of Texas, which is a good thing in this industry to an extent. But you know, sacrificing your ego and, and, and that short-term recognition phase for a bigger picture, that delayed gratification is, again, something we've talked about a lot um, in this podcast series. I think the experiment was a Stanford one, the marshmallow experiment from memory. We talk about that in the book. Um, delayed gratification is a really, really important thing. So prior to doing your property transaction, your first property transaction and living at home, what sort of structuring advice did you take? And again, for people that are a little older, perhaps listening to this, thing, well, you know, you just started work, you're in your early 20s, why structuring so important? But I guess, you know, you're already reaping the, the reward of that. So what sort of structuring advice do you take on board? I think early on, I had to bargain with the future. Mm. So I had to structure myself correctly, as painful as it was, because it can be expensive to set up companies and that kind of thing. It also takes time. I had good advice, I must say, from from yourself saying, Mitch, you, you work bloody hard. You could do very well out of this, so make sure you get yourself set up, dig the well before you need the water. Initially, I started out just as an ABN, and mm. there's not that many tax benefits when it comes to an ABN. Yeah. I then made the decision that once I'd started earning a certain amount that I was going to go and set up a, a company, uh, which from a tax effectiveness perspective makes a huge difference versus being an employee. Mm. I had to learn very young at just 21 or 22 that there's BAS statements due every quarter and there's accountants bills and that kind of mm. thing. So it made me grow up very, very quickly, but also it did set me up now for what's really going to be structuring for life. So, you know, 
perhaps some people listening to this might be thinking, oh, that's overkill at that age, you know, it's over-engineering it. So if, if we take a specific example, one of the things that we, we've talked about previously is good debt versus bad debt and hex debt, for example, uh, or, or whatever university debt that you might have. When does that become liable to be paid back? What's the I think you have to earn over 50 grand a year in your name. In your own personal in your name. your own personal name. So if you're able to earn your income in a corporate structure and pay yourself less than that individually living at home, I'm guessing you're living, I know what your mum's like, so she's probably pretty generous with you. Um, you know, you, 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 the salary you choose to pay yourself would be relatively low. I'll, I'll be straight with you, AB, and our listeners. I've never paid a cent off my hex. Hmm. You would at some point, I'm guessing, but... No, barely. Um, mm. You know, the, the the as you say, if the salary that you yourself earns is is below the threshold, mm. there's no incentive. So again, yeah, this this might seem a little provocative, which is good because it promotes discussion, and I think it's also a very important reflection on advice um, and getting a good team around you, particularly for that advice. So there'll be people that listen to this and go, "Well, that's just not fair." But ultimately, as individuals, and we've talked to this many, many times in this podcast series, we don't make the rules or the legislation. That's a game plan that's set out by a third party. And our role as advisors, uh, including advising ourselves, is to play within the rule book that we've been given. The, the, thought, the thought process I had is I could pay off my hex if I wanted to. I had the, the savings there to do so. Mm. But I thought if I bought a house, the rate of return that I could earn on that investment mm. would be greater than the interest on the loan for my hex. Yep. So there's a comparative advantage there for me not to funnel income into my name mm. and pay off the hex, yep. but rather to keep the cash in the company and then buy an investment property. Well, again, a lot of people go, well, that's a long way along the line. If only I knew that when I was X, but again, that's the importance of having advice. So one property down, tenants are in, you've gone through quite a learning curve, I think as well, in terms of you know, vacancy, letting agents and learning. What, what have been some of your key learning points about being a landlord that maybe you don't get from reading a book on owning a property versus actually being the property owner? It's a good question. And we, we I know in your book spoke about the importance of having a good team around you. Mm. So I must say my accountants um, have been immense mm. in, in, in structuring advice, but also just general financial advice. And and, and James, who, who, who if he's listening to this will know exactly what mm. I'm talking about. In regards to other team members, my former property agents were letting me down. I mean, mm. in a market that has 0.6% vacancy, I had a four-bedroom house that wasn't mm. rented, which is just ridiculous. Changed, they got it rented literally in five mm. days. Um, all, all of that makes a big difference. And then I had to refinance my mortgage as well uh, based on, on the advice of yourself and, and others around me. Interest rates go up. Uh, your financial position gets better. In actual fact, you've got bargaining power to get a, a better interest rate. So mm -hmm. I swap banks and am saving a heap. So that notion that it's not, okay, set and forget, there's my letting agent, there's the property, there's the mortgage, and we'll revisit this in five or 10 years. This is something that you've looked at more frequently than that, obviously. Absolutely, it's, it's a monthly thing for me. I review my accounts, which is my overall financial position, savings, investment property, shares, everything like that on one particular day of every month. Mm. And and that's just to see how much I can wring out of everything that I can get. Mm. Because if you just let it slip into the ether, who knows what they're charging you for? Who knows what expenses are building up? If you look at it and you say, can we cut this? Can we do this? Can we change that? It makes a big difference. Mm. So the property you bought, what was the sort of basis for it? Was it 
were you able to add value? Did you get a good price on it? Was it needing a bit of love? Uh, what was the strategy specifically? What was you know without going into too much detail? What was the what was the mo for that particular property? Really straightforward. I said to myself, I'm 21. Mm. If I buy this house now, chances are in 30 or 40 years it'll be worth more mm. by virtue of time. So I bought at the top of the market here in Queensland, February 2022, uh, where. I just literally walked into a bunch of houses, offered on all of them that weekend, ones that I liked, and this one was the one that dropped. This house I saw as a potentially really good income generator because it had dual living. Gotcha, okay, so there's, a, there's the value added in it. Yep. Yeah, dual living, four bedroom, three bathroom, two living areas, so I thought I could sublet some of, mm. some of it out and, and the other. I didn't necessarily have to do that, mm. uh, and the yield is, is really, really strong on it, which for me is perfect. So for the benefit of people listening, dual living means that you can have two different tenants in the same That's right. in the same property. Yep. Okay, so you can diversify and give you that reduced risk or, or it's a bigger property and you can... Yeah, that's right. And there was nothing special about the property either. I had done some research into property investment. It was close to a school, close to shops, close to a bus stop, had dual living, there was no carpet. So from a rental perspective, it was beautiful. And I probably paid overs at the time, mm. but I said to myself, I'm willing to pay a little bit more now for the benefit of having it over 30 or 40 years. And I think that's that's one of the difficult things is that biting the bullet where you think, oh, could I maybe hold off and get a slightly better price you know, in three months, six months time, but what if you miss it and, and prices over time drive up as they typically do with property? So I think you're better being in than on the sideline uh, because once you're in the game, just like a trade, once you're in a trade, you can manage it. Whereas if you're not in a trade, you're just a spectator. And you know, at the end of the day, if you get a footy game, it's the people on the field of play that get paid, the spectators pay. That's right. Mm. My pop always said, what's dear today is cheap tomorrow. So even if you overpay, time value of money kicks in as another yep. chapter in the book. Mm. Over time, the, the chances are that you will you'll make a decent gain. So now we've, uh, let's wind the clock forward a little bit now. So you're on the hunt. On the hunt again, ready mm -hmm. to go again. Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about what the, the, the next chapter looks like for you. Getting slightly older, when I say older, getting towards my mid-20s. Uh, I've got a very strict goal. The goal is three properties by 25, mm -hmm. and all with healthy deposits, 20% plus, all that kind of kit and caboodle done. Mm. Very much on my way there, so I'm looking at property number two now. Mm -hmm. uh, just literally building up savings and oh, having- so another investor rather than- Primary place this of one will probably be a primary place of residence. Mm -hmm. I would say it's time to time to grow up and uh, and 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 spread the wings, so to speak. We get a food parcel if you move out from home. Yeah, we'll, I think we'll, so. Street we'll, Food Co. Sue will be sending a food parcel for you. That's right, Mum and Street Food Co. The shout out to those guys there. They always mm -hmm. look after me. I'm sure I'll be getting plenty of meals there. <laughs> uh, and then next year will be investment property number two. So I have three properties, two investments, one mm. primary place of residence. And I guess you know within all of this. <sighs> Again, a lot of people, how have you been able to jumpstart it? And, and, and I'd say as a spectator watching your journey, um, I think it's because you're an action taker, pure and simple. Um, and, and, and the fact that it embraces so many of the values that, that we espouse as an organization and what we do for our clients that we've mentioned a couple of times now. Yeah, let's talk about cars. Now, I do like cars. You got a nice car and it is a very nice car. Um, but you didn't make the mistake that one of our former colleagues made on that, so you dealt well. I think the quote we talk about in the in our book is, "Yeah, was it? Um, you know, drive the uh, the worst car your ego will allow." <laughs> yeah, I guess as, true. as a bachelor, you've got game, but you know, having a few props to lean on, like a yeah, nice car, helps. probably helps a little bit. So you get yourself a, a reasonable vehicle, but what entity is that vehicle in? In the company, of course. Because so, so it becomes a deduction for you rather than the cost. Instant asset write off had a good year, so I was able to write off some of my income tax. Mm -hmm. 
and then every, everything, fuel, servicing, tires, everything like that gets mm. written off through the company, which makes things a lot easier. Yeah, and again, this is not groundbreaking stuff that we're talking about here in so far as I remember, gee whiz, back in 99, uh, I remember reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad on the plane as I moved here to Australia. And even though I worked in financial markets, I was in a very narrow space as a trader. I was very good at what I did, but I didn't have that overview uh, of what's going on. I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's seminal work. It's a fantastic book. And, you know, we know Robert well. We've done a lot of work with him over the years. That notion of structuring and, and getting out of being the individual and being in a corporate structure and, and what that means. And I know it was originally written for the US market and the tax code in the US, but very similar things apply here. So getting a car, running it through your business, having it as a deduction means, again, as you say, you've been money smart with that. So what would you say are the, some of the, 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 the core non-negotiable pillars that have supported your journey to date? Number one is you have to have goal or a goal or some goals without any objective to work towards. Like me driving to that party on Australia Day saying, I am going to buy a house. Mm. I made a definitive decision that day there and then and took definitive action towards it. And that's the only way to do it. Because if you just, it, when you're young, it's very easy just to float along, get paid, spend it and worry about keeping up with the Joneses. And then, you know, by the time you're 26 or 27, realize, oh my God, I have to start doing something mm. now. It's too. It's not too late, but you know, there's five, six good years that you've missed out on. Mm -hmm. And second, I would say, honestly, to any of our younger listeners out there, bargain with the future, you know, give up today for tomorrow and beyond because the fruits of your labor can be a lot better if you just wait mm -hmm. and invest your savings and do the right thing. Isn't it interesting budget? And budgeting, people think, is just this thing that crimps your lifestyle and smashes you over the head. All budgeting really does is guarantees your ability to do the things that are important to you in the future. That's right. As opposed to having them as a hope and a little picture on the fridge that you hope you might get one day or a New Year's resolution. In terms of discipline and hustle, tell me a little bit about where that sits on your spectrum of, of, of non-negotiables. Discipline and hustle are my two non-negotiables flat out. Mm. You want something, you got to work hard for it, and you have to work harder than everyone else if you really want it. That's that's just the fact. In terms of discipline, I think it's a matter of not negotiating with yourself. Mm. So you might have a good month or hit a good milestone, and as we say, my dad always said, even if you do earn more, never have lifestyle inflation. If you just stay the same in what you spend, everything else you get to keep. If you, if you make a plan, which of course you will, if you want to have any goal and, and get there, don't negotiate with yourself. So mine is literally quantified exactly. Mm. This is what goes into here, this percentage and, and so forth. And there is no change to that, unless there's a special circumstance like your birthday or whatever, then you might treat yourself every now and then. You certainly have to reward yourself, mm. but only if there's an occasion or a goal that you've hit or something like that. Other than that, binary you don't negotiate with yourself i think that level of self-discipline is crucial where, where do you think that initial that sort of grain of of sort of fortitude and dog determination and and clenched jaw comes from what what, what are some of the things you've done through your life to date that have given you that 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 sort of value system in my sporting upbringing uh, for those of listeners who do know maybe don't know i used to used to play afl mm. semi-professionally so i was always in the sons academy and the junior team and that kind of mm. thing and um i always had a desire to to outperform and be at, at, at an excellent level and to be honest with you i was never quite up there with the best but i always had this overwhelming drive to get there mm. but the discipline of the 
the things that the work ethic that's right Mm -hmm. um you know talent for example i wasn't really necessarily born with the Mm -hmm. work ethic going to the gym and running extras and that kind of thing i was so that taught me a lot because sport is a great metaphor for life i think as kobe bryant once said all those lessons that you learn whilst you're playing sport, yep. you can apply to real life. Absolutely true. I mean, the way you do anything is how you do everything. You know, if you're sloppy, then everything's sloppy if you're focused. What was really interesting is a comment you made a couple of minutes ago about that that actual hustle. And we've got a mutual friend that's been phenomenally successful. Um, I think he sold the most expensive house in Queensland yeah. uh, a few it's months ago. It's a big ago. number. Um, and he's been incredibly successful in his business. I think that's his maxim too. And so far as you can, you, that's one thing people can't compete with is your work ethic. If you that's outwork right. everyone, you'll, you'll, you'll ride over them. Rest is rust. He said to me one time at the gym, I was watching him work out. And he was laying on the floor, sweating, panting. He said, Mitch, rest is rust. And I never forgot it because mm. it's true. Mm. Uh, and if you get ahead of the game early, so any of our younger listeners out there, if this is a message, just get started mm. now. Start hustling, start setting goals because it will make a big difference. I think, and, and this is this is really fascinating and I'm sort of like mentally while we're having this conversation sort of going back in, in time and thinking what my timeline looked like, which is a little different to yours. Um, but the processes were quite similar. I left home when I was 17, so I, I wasn't able to milk the cow quite as long <laughs> as you've been able to. But, you know, if I think about other people, like if I take my wife, for example, she bought her first property when she was 20, just graduated from Bond like yourself and, and, and got into the market really, really quickly. Uh, and she was a lawyer, so people will go, you know, okay, you're a stock, former stockbroker, stockbroker, um, <laughs> wife's a lawyer, so, you know, that's a decent income. But when I, when, if I take my sister-in-law, who's a nurse, she's done the same thing. And she's by no means on a great salary, but the underpinning actions of over-delivering value, of hustle, of having discipline, of saving, of being clear on your intention, they're the same for all three of you. And all three of you have been able to attain a property at under 25 years of age, and I'm not talking about a meth lab shack that's falling apart, but a decent quality property. And there are a lot of people in the current environment that feel that property is out of their reach. You know, the average age of a first-time buyer is, what's, 36, 36 in Australia. in Australia. It's crazy. Um, you know, and, and in a lot of instances, the bank of mum and dad have come in. But when you hear of younger people being able to do it under their own steam, yeah, you know, it's really inspiring. And, and the fact that it hasn't happened by accident, it's happened because of process, because of clarity, because of a set of goals, and then a work ethic that sits behind all of that to, to actually drive it and make it real rather than the pipe dream um, is a fantastic story. Uh, and you're in a, you're so well on your way to where I know you want to get to in your life and you'll get there quicker than you actually have set the benchmark, which is a pretty tight benchmark anyway, but you get there quicker than that because the skill set, the discipline, the processes, and the fact that you've already started the journey, you're not getting ready to start, you're not thinking about starting, you're not looking around and one fine day after New Year and I've just got a holiday to get out of the way and once this has happened, I'll do that. You've just got started and you've eliminated excuses and I think that notion of busting excuses and just getting the sleeves rolled up and piling in is, is crucial and all I can say is massive congratulations on your journey today and you've been able to do it and keep your feet on the ground at the same time because you know you don't run around with a big ego going look what i'm doing i mean i know this is going out to a lot of people now so maybe it's a little more public than 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 the person you ordinarily are but i think if it does its job as being a a source of inspiration and the fact that this stuff does happen can happen and will happen if you follow these processes will help a lot of people so i really appreciate you sharing your journey today Thank you, AB. And if I can just say, I have really you a lot, a lot of, to thank for a lot. Um, 
it, it comes down to basics and you taught me this literally from when I was a teenager. Spend less than you earn, save, invest for the future. It's really not that hard and you taught me that. It's written all through the books mm. in different ways. It ranged true in any profession for any person. There we go. Thanks, William, for sharing your experience. And, uh, mate, it's pretty tricky being in the person asking the questions. I think we might get, get this back to normal. Do you want to swap back next week? We can. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Thanks for Well, thanks you. for having me, AB. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure interviewing you. Thanks very much, Mitch. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating. And make sure you share this podcast with someone that you feel would benefit from the content.